0: Welcome to Sunrise Life, the podcast where we have conversations with freelance models. Today, I have Poppy on the line. Her Instagram handle is Poppy Seed Dancer. And she's known for her very bendy poses, and her amazing art. She's a trained ballerina and she travels the world. Say hello. Thank you for having me on your podcast. Yeah. So I had the joy of finally meeting you in person Somewhat recently, that was last September, we did a group event together in South Utah, where we went to a bunch of cool locations. And that was really cool. That was. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, we had been in contact for years prior to that. And I love the way that this like internet world today works, where you can sort of make friends with somebody before you even meet them.
1: Yes. You know, something that really stood out to me about you is that you're one of the first traveling models I've ever heard of. And we got into contact when I was twenty-four years old, sorry, twenty-three. And there was the one time I had an experience with a photographer where I didn't feel safe. I didn't feel like I could trust him. And I remember knowing that you had worked with him and I messaged you on Instagram and I let you know what was happening and you gave me your phone number and you said, hey, I'm going to keep my number, my phone turned on through the night. If you need anything, call me. And that just made me feel so very supported. Hmm. So thank you for that.
0: You're welcome. I I remember that. That guy, the first time I worked with him, he was really nice. And then the second time I worked with him, his personality completely changed. And so that was kind of shocking to me. Yes, for me too. Well, I'm glad that you got through that situation okay. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. So for the, the people who listen, I I would also like to hear how you first got into modeling and then how your modeling career has kind of progressed to lead you where you are today.
1: Thank you for asking. So when I was a teenager, my dad died when I was 12. and My mom, she really wanted me to become a concert pianist, but I wanted to be a ballet dancer. So I very quickly realized that she didn't want to support me in my dreams. So I started having to support myself and do what I can to become a dancer. And as a 12, 13, 14-year-old, that proved to be extremely difficult to find the appropriate support in the ballet world when my own parents didn't want me to go in that direction. So I found myself uh, encountered with a lot of challenges and obstacles that alone I wasn't able to go through. So my my mom and I, we would argue every other day about whether I would become a concert pianist or ballet dancer. And as an adult, I could understand if my mom wanted me to be a doctor or a lawyer or an engineer, but having to force me to choose between two artistic professions, that makes no sense. But yeah, so I ended up going to college when I was 17 in Italy and I continued dancing. I found all the ballet schools that I could attend. I, I found all the yoga classes I could attend. I was constantly using my body. I, I found a painter who hired me for my first modeling project when I was 17. He made a beautiful life-size print of me and then he told me he sold it for like 20,000 euro in downtown Florence. No way. Yeah. And and then uh, I had some, uh, in, like a, some sort of a desire to pose new to and I found art classes where students would draw live art models. And then I would uh, model for as many of them as I could. And of course, modeling for people who draw, it's a, a huge physical toll on the body because your body falls asleep when you're holding a pose for a long period of time. But that kind, of like, uh, that kind of got me through the door. And then I started looking for more and more opportunities. And before I knew it, I was starting to ask photographers to reimburse me for pointe shoes because I couldn't afford pointe shoes at the time. They were 80 to to $100 per pair. And as a student, there's no way I could afford them. And with dancing outside, especially if there's mud or rain or gravel, pointe shoes get destroyed very fast. So then my heart was... A came to travel, and I was dancing all day every day when I dropped out of college in my last year. I found an opportunity where I could work for the director of my school and take all the classes I possibly could with her. And it wasn't uh, fulfilling because then I ended up dancing, training eight, ten hours a day, wow. six days a week. And I really wanted to travel. This is where my heart ached to do. I wanted to have many diverse experiences as possible and in as little time as possible. So I decided, you know what? Photographers are asking me for photo shoots all the time. What if I choose a random place in the world and I sponsor it by connecting with photographers? So with like two, three hundred dollars in the bank, I bought a flight to Atlanta. I connected with a few photographers and it was the first time in my life where I ended up coming home with not only an incredible travel adventure, but I ate sushi at a restaurant that I could never afford to attend on my own. I made an incredible friend whom later I found out you actually stayed with. Mm. And he was, he was a close friend of mine. And so he passed away and, and I got to see the blue smoky mountains in Atlanta or close to Atlanta. So it was like an incredible time. And I ended up coming home with more money than I had left with. Great. And then I started to do this all the time. I would go to different states. And then I went to Europe and I did the same thing there. And then Australia and then Russia. So everywhere I could possibly go, I went. And then I realized, oh my gosh, I never have to come back home. This is great. And I ended up traveling full-time nonstop for two years. And and then COVID hit. So yeah, and even during COVID, I was so eager to travel. I was in Sweden for the first four months and then Denmark and then Italy. And yeah, so it's been an adventure. And the purpose of my travels has been to find where does home, like what is home? What does it look like for me? What does it mean? Where in the world do I feel the most belonging? And after six years of traveling, That place for me slowly has become San Francisco. All right. Yeah, it didn't happen overnight. It kind of happened slowly. I started coming here more and more often and staying for longer and longer periods. And so I feel like I have achieved two big goals that I've had with my modeling career, which is to find where home is for me and to have as many adventures and experiences as I possibly could give myself. Wow. Yeah. There's a song
0: about that. I think it's called I Left My Heart in San Francisco. Oh, my gosh. That's a great song. (laughs) I'm going to have to find it and listen to it because that's how I feel. Yes. Yeah. I've been there a few times. I do like San Francisco. And you're originally from Eastern Europe. Where exactly? I was born in Crimea in
1: Yalta. So if you've ever heard of the Yalta Conference, it's the it's it, part of Ukraine, but uh, Russia has annexed it. Oh, so it has a complicated history. That's interesting.
0: Yeah. Wow, that's amazing that you traveled the whole world, and then San Francisco ended up being your home. Are you in <laughs> like downtown, or are you in a satellite area of downtown San Francisco? I am in downtown San Francisco. Wow. Yeah.
1: So the only way that I can get a glimpse of nature is if I go on the rooftop, but so I have to go up.
0: Yeah. Wow. I mean, you can get plenty of nature as you travel too. Yes. I. But I am such a homebody. I, I love being at home.
1: I love shooting and creating arts at home. I love having photographers come visit and shoot here when there's like a really ultra special project.
0: I will open up my home for that. That's yeah. amazing. I think it's really interesting that you started posing nude for art classes first and then went into the photography. It Was there any kind of a hesitation for you of having nude photos of yourself online? None at all. Actually, back then I was in a relationship with
1: a beautiful, beautiful human, but he was a very conservative. So he actually did not feel comfortable with my posing nude. But this was such a big part of my identity. I remember my dad, who adopted me and brought me over to the States, he was a nudist. So he would walk around nude. He would take me and my mom to nudist resort. So nudity was a huge part of my life already. I had no reservations around it. So modeling nude was just second nature to me, and he didn't want me to do it. So I remember getting my first nude images published really, really beautifully and tastefully in magazines, and then having to like hide them. I was so excited to see the images, but I couldn't show him. <laughs> and slowly throughout the years, he actually became supportive. And even when our relationship ended, I was still traveling with him around Italy and getting him to take photos of me. Because he was very talented in photography. Wow. So slowly converted him.
0: Yeah. That's cool. That's a cool story. Thank you. Talking about stories, I have this part of my podcast called the Photoshoot Fail of the Week. Would you mind sharing some of your craziest photoshoot Ah. stories? (laughs) This is so scary. But yes, if you insist.
1: So one of my craziest stories is also really heartbreaking for me because one of the things that you and I love to do the most is as art models, we love to travel the world, have these beautiful experiences, and to have a photographer who is willing to create with us and build that relationship over time in beautiful places and who can just so happen to afford it without any doubts. that's rare. So when we find bookings like that, we want to nurture those connections. So there is a photographer who who traveled. Well, I don't know. I haven't been following him at all. But I think he still travels with models around the world. And he's been doing this for years. And he can afford to rent the best of the best locations, have several models at one time, have a makeup artist, have a driver if he needs, gets private jets. Like, really fancy lifestyle. And I accompanied him on a trip to Iceland. And it's very emotional for me to talk about it. But on the first day, I had already traveled with him, and I already knew him. So I thought we had a good relationship, and he had our background in psychology. So I was really excited to have deep conversations with him and explore like who we are and what we are and what is this crazy human experience all about. And on the first day that I was with him, I was expecting to be traveling with two other models. But as soon as I came and uh, got into his car, I I very eagerly asked, like, hey, so who are the other models? Like, really wanting to make friends. And he said, oh, you know, I decided it's going to be just you because the last time we met, I, I don't feel like I took advantage of your ballet skills enough. If you know what I mean. And I said, Oh, okay, sure. I know what you mean. And in reality, I had no idea what he meant because I don't see why, why I can't pose the way I pose with anyone. I like um, my skills are not in contrast with other models. They're complementary. Yeah. So I made the mistake to not immediately message the other models who I thought were going to join us to ask what happened. Mm-hmm. I waited until after the trip and it turns out that there, there was a very good reason why they didn't join us. He, he ended up telling me on the very first day that he was being, he knew he was being not faithful to his wife because she had no idea he was traveling with, with a nude art models. Oh my God. She thought he was shooting landscape images. And then he made a comment like, it's almost as if he wanted her to find out so that he would be stopped. And, and then he told me that he fired a, driver he had for extortion what yeah and he had a very very elaborate convincing story about it and then I remember he sat down and he said that he had the resources to fight it out in court and his driver didn't No. so looking back I can already see like the power dynamic and then after after several days of traveling together he was uh, very stressed and he canceled one day of shooting, which meant that I had two days off. So it turns out we had two days free. And of course, I want to spend my time exploring Iceland and doing as much as I can. And I was just so excited to be there. So out of respect to the photographer, I messaged him if it was okay to have my friend stay in my room. I had two, two, two beds available. And I could see that he saw the message and he never responded. And then the next morning, he wrote me a message that was like telling me my behavior had been so incredibly unprofessional. It would be a waste of his time to get into why. And then he just like, I was, I was shocked. I remember having to just uh, sit down on the sofa and collect myself because Everything that I was trying to do, like uh, throughout the whole trip, was to be like chatty and friendly and have a nice conversation and make collaborative, beautiful images and asking for permission for my friend to stay with me. This was out of respect for him because he was paying for the hotel room and for to be received in such a very aggressive way. To be told that suddenly, out of the blue, my behavior was unprofessional, but not to be told why. Yeah, for him to use phrases like uh, this is like it's a waste of his time to tell me what I had done wrong
0: what? but it, he's the one that said that he like needed to take a couple days off of shooting right
1: yes yeah. so okay yes yeah, so I I messaged him like hey please could you tell me what happens like was it this or was it that like let's 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 come to a conclusion like I I don't want to leave on a bad note this has been such an incredible trip so far like what's going on and he wouldn't respond And I tried to go over to his hotel room. He was staying in a different place to talk. And then I also realized that he still owed me half of my payments. And I realized that if I left, he probably wouldn't pay me or he would try not to. And that's exactly what happened. Mm -hmm. I I finally did manage to persuade him to pay me, but it was really difficult. It was really scary. felt like I was standing up to a bully. And to stand up to a bully is so hard because, yeah, they, from my perspective, they just have very little empathy for what's going on for the other person. And he started telling me that I was extorting him because I wanted him to pay for the remainder of my rates. I forgot an important piece of the story, which is he canceled the rest of the shoots. He canceled the last day of shooting. And then he also told me, like, it would be a good idea if I left the hotel. But I didn't even have another place to stay. I was completely dependent on him. And Iceland is super expensive, So it was a scary place to be. I didn't know if I could stay in my room or if I had to leave. It just came out, out of the blue. And I had a lot of anxiety. I couldn't even come out of my room that day. And my partner at the time, he had to, like, call me down and... He, at the end of the day, he finally said, like, I just remember you've done nothing wrong. Please go out and just enjoy the your last remaining time in Iceland. So it felt really good to hear someone say, like, I've done nothing wrong because receiving those messages from this photographer, like, of course, I'm questioning, like, what's going on? What did I do? And he's not giving me any answers. So yeah, and I returned back home and he started sending me lots and lots of emails demanding a model release that at first he said he didn't need. Then suddenly he needed it. And by that time, like I was ready, I was done with him. Like I wanted him out of my life. And I never thought he reached out, he would reach out to me again. But he started writing me emails. He, they were very... I mean, not okay emails. They were like trying to, he was trying to put pressure on me to coerce me to sign a release, but I didn't want any more contact with him. And he was telling me like he would go to the police station in Iceland and report me for extortion. And I feel had been under distrust and he would call the cops on me and like all these things. Yes, a very stressful period.
0: This guy sounds like a
1: huge, like, Mm -mm. problem. (laughs) And then I followed up with the models who didn't come on the trip. And it turns out they also had a bad experience with him. And yeah, that was a a lesson for me to be more assertive. Like, the whole time that I have been discussing the trip, looking back is always easier than looking ahead. But when I look back, there were already red flags about the trip. Like he, even before the trip started, he canceled it, but then he rescheduled it. And then he he was kind of in and out about it. And then, yeah, I remember feeling uneasy even before the trip started. And I did not know to listen to my gut feeling about it. So, yeah, now I do.
0: Now you do. Sometimes you have to learn the hard way, I guess. And it sucks that it had to happen that way, but... Yeah. But it's like sometimes, like to anybody else that's not a traveling model, the idea that somebody's going to pay for your flight and your accommodations and you're going to run around and take all these pictures, that's it, sounds when you say it like that like a sweet deal. But then when you yeah. when you add that the person that's bringing you is a psychopath and they're going to be frustrated and like angry with you half the time. And then they're going to agree to pay you and then just take away like what they agreed upon and then get all manipulative afterwards. And that's just a nightmare, you know, and and if they have the f- your flights like in their name or like they purchased your flights, they have the power to, you know, just yes. cancel your return flight, cancel your hotel room, and and it's it can get nasty. And I've I've heard bad stories like that, and that's just the worst. It it turns like a like a fantasy adventure into like a total nightmare. Something
1: else that I learned is how easy it is for people to do a chargeback payment. I think this is a very important for models to know, actually, or anyone who provides a service that they're being paid for through any sort of app. He ended up paying me, but not in the same way that I received his deposit. He used PayPal and he used the pay-for-service option, whereas when he sent me the deposit, he used pay via friends and family, Mm -hmm. which is a payment that is irreversible. Once it's sent, it's sent for goods. But when you use the PayPal pay-for-service option, that can be easily reversed if a buyer contacts PayPal and says the service was never provided, unless the person providing the service has a contract signed by both parties that says this service has been provided. There's no amount of proof that PayPal will accept, so they will just refund the buyer their payment and... That's what happened. That sucks. Yeah, despite like all the videos and photos that I sent them that I provided the service and he ended up canceling the last day of shooting, they really, they didn't even take the time to look through it. They just refunded him his payment, which enabled him to continue writing me emails saying like, now that I've won the case, like you, like he was just trying to get me to sign his release. And I was just wanting him out of my life oh my gosh. and I also did end up contacting some legal help and they told me like you, you don't have to worry about this it actually does sound like not a good situation for you in which he's trying to put you under distress but he's telling you that you're putting him under distress which is a manipulation technique yeah yeah so model if you are listening to this, just uh, be aware of how you are getting paid. I did a lot of research after this and it seemed like Stripe is by far one of the best payment platforms to send invoices. Photographers can also, you can send them a payment link and all they have to do is enter their card number. So it's super easy for them. And if you have anything to add to that, Christine,
0: that is good advice. I I have used various payment processors. I still have PayPal. They use Venmo and Zelle also. I think that are PayPal and Stripe associated with each other in some kind of way?
1: Not that I know of. Stripe is its own ecosystem. Okay.
0: <laughs> I do know that PayPal in the past and probably still today does have like... Some weird rules that have caused them to shut down NSFW creators' PayPal's and even seize their funds <clears> if <throat> you are supposedly using PayPal to do transactions for eighteen plus related services. And so I'm really careful on PayPal when when somebody <laughs> pays me there. I just try to let them know not to say anything about nudity.
1: Yes. I have heard of other others who have had issues with PayPal as well.
0: Yeah, so I, it's not my first choice, but because so many people do use it, it is often the most convenient choice. But lately, a lot of people have been using Zelle, which is great because it's just mm-hmm. direct into my bank account instead of having to go through a third party. Yes,
1: yeah, that is perfect.
0: Yeah. All good advice and all really good things to be aware of for photographers and for models. Yeah. I want to take a short little break to tell you about Model Society. ModelSociety.com is a website dedicated to featuring figurative fine art photography for models and photographers. What makes them different than other portfolio hosting websites is that some of those other websites will still host kind of tacky photography or exploitative photos. Model Society screens all of their contributors for quality and authenticity. So you only get the best of the best on there. If you're not a photographer or model, you can still enjoy and appreciate Model Society because they also have newsletters and magazines featuring their best work and new articles each week. Check it out, modelsociety.com. I will also include a link to Model Society in the show notes. All right, now back to our show. We had talked about a few topics that you wanted to get into. I believe one of those was mental health. I'm really curious what you wanted to say about mental health and being a traveling nude model.
1: Well, something that has been on my mind a lot lately is I have been abroad for the last three months and just came home a few days ago. I went to Chicago, New York, London, Paris. Singapore, Thailand Bali and Iceland wow and it was quite an adventure and when I was in in Bali I did I started out doing a yoga teacher training program and I have been exploring different ways that I can inspire my photo shoot how can I be better at what I'm doing how can I Offer more skills, more creativity. How can I continue creating content that inspires me and consequently the world? So I thought the yoga training program would be great. Also because I'm aware in in however much time I might want to transition careers and do something else. I feel like I will always have modeling. Wherever I'm traveling in the world, I'm never going to stop traveling. I want to be able to do photo But I also want to be able to stay home in San Francisco more and have people come visit me and hold classes. And so yoga teacher training started. It's really great. I was so happy to be there. I was coming to class early and warming up. And I've been working with my body since I was eight years old, training Uh, to become a ballet dancer. So I know my body really well. I have a specific style of movement that is just natural for me. And on the third day of class, I encountered an instructor who, long story short, he basically just wanted me to follow exactly what he said in class with no adjustments, even though we were being encouraged to listen to our bodies don't pursue hard. Do what feels right. He he did not seem to be a proponent of that because when he saw me making small adjustments to his poses, he came up to me and he said, like, no, you're doing that wrong. Like, tuck your tailbone under. And then I was confused, like, wait, hold on, chair pose, It's supposed to be the flat back, why is he telling me to tuck my tailbone under? That creates an S shape in my body. And then uh, he said, like, okay, I don't have time for this, I'll come back to it after class. And then a few poses later, he came up to me and he said, like, why are you doing a hip flexor stretch? We're doing a hip opener. And I said, like, oh, this is too deep for my body right now. I actually don't think we should be doing hip-openers in the first 10-15 minutes of class. That is way too deep for yoga, but to each their own. So I just did my my version. And he, he just looked at me in a very condescending way. And he said, is this going to be a persistent thing? And I said, what do you mean? And I wasn't in a place to be receiving any sort of feedback. I had my hair on my face. I was like... Really feeling my body, looking inwards, uh, doing my own stretch and that was similar to the hip opener, and so I was already not in the place to receive feedback, and he was kind of making his way, like trying to talk to me in a not good place, and I felt confused when he said. Is this going to be a persistent thing? Like, is a what going to be a persistent thing? Is me listening to my body going to be a persistent thing? And I asked him this, and I said, like, of course, I'm going to continue listening to my body. And he just nodded, and he said, oh, like, and he walked away. And that was such a confusing interaction for me to be asked, Is this going to be a persistent thing? And then him responding, and then I just broke down crying on my yoga mat, and I ended up leaving the class and I stayed for a few more days because of course I, I want to give everyone the benefit of a doubt. Maybe he was, maybe we just got off on the wrong foot. Maybe we're just two very different people and had a miscommunication. Maybe he was having a bad day. I don't know. So I opened up the space to talk with him afterward and he did the same for me, but I quickly realized like, okay, this, I cannot work with him. Like we are just Two different. We come from two different backgrounds. He was trying, through his messages, the way I interpret them, was he was trying to project onto me what he thought was going on for me without expressing any curiosity or empathy or showing understanding. It was just him telling me what he thought was going on for me. And I ended up seeing a friend of mine. I was growing really close to sustain a sternum injury. Not sternum bruising from another yoga instructor, someone whom I was looking up to. Apparently, the instructor put his whole body weight on her sternum, and this was such a tiny woman. So seeing her struggle through this as it brought up a lot for her, and seeing my experience with another instructor, and then seeing how this, these two situations were handled by the staff in general, I decided this isn't a safe or supportive place for me. I want to be in a space that welcomes curiosity and that welcomes individualism that welcomes play and questions and exploration and that yoga program just wasn't it and then I realized that there is something called trauma-informed like teaching methods. so right now I'm researching yoga programs that are trauma-informed because those are the spaces that I want to be in but- how do we circle this Back around
0: to the topic. I I have been listening to your story, and it seems that you had like a, a combative, non empathetic yoga instructor that was, I suppose, sort of making a scene at criticizing your movements in class. And I think that we're circling back around in mental health because when you're working in spaces that do not like have safety, or as you mentioned, are not trauma informed then you're potentially putting yourself in a situation where you're just going to be, you know, traumatized more. So by Mm -hmm. him not having like any kind of understanding or curiosity about why you were moving the way you were moving, which personally, like I've been to a bunch of yoga classes before and Mm -hmm. I feel like this particular yoga teacher is a little extra douchebaggy. That's what it sounds like. Or perhaps because like... You, I, know, I know that you're really great with your bending and everything. Maybe maybe he was intimidated by, like, the way that you move in some kind of a way or maybe the way that you look or, or whatever, you know. Maybe he had some kind of deep-seated, like, negative, like, opinions of you without really being upfront about yeah. that and just kind of projecting onto you in class. But I, I think that, like, in general, as models – we go, through, we go about the world and people in, do interact with us differently because, you know, like, especially since you've been doing this for a long time, you have a big following, you can do extravagant poses, people look up to you, they think you're fantastic, but like we're all just humans, right? And mm. traveling also, I think, at least for me, is a toll on my mental health because if you're moving around in different spaces, you're in airports, maybe spending the night at a train station, sleeping on somebody's couch, and then the next day, you're sleeping Mm -hmm. in a hotel. Like, for me, that does shake up my mental health also.
1: Yeah, oh my goodness. I'd love to hear you talk more about this. Why is it that it's so disorienting to be traveling and have, like, what is it that happens in our systems that is like, how do we stay grounded while we're traveling? Is it even possible? I think a large part of my travels has been, can I find peace amidst chaos? Yeah. Can I be traveling to a bazillion places in a short period
0: and still feel calm
1: inside?
0: Yes. I feel like we're on the same page with that. Oh, no. And I have found different ways to like be grounded as I'm traveling. For me that is having some kind of a morning routine involving the same breakfast. I bring my smoothie blender with me everywhere, and I like to get some stretches done in the morning and do some journaling. And if I can do that every day when I'm traveling, you know, the temperature can be different, the beds can be different, what I'm doing that day can be different, the humidity can be different, (laughs) the people can be different. But if something in the morning when I start off my day is like the same, that kind of levels me out. And
1: uh, what keeps you going? Like, what is your motivation? What is your vision for your life? Can I ask about that? Oh my gosh.
0: (laughs) We're doing the reverse, Uno, the interviewees asking the interviewer questions, but I love it when people do this because it puts me on the spot. So what keeps me going? You know, that's a hard question as a traveling freelance model. And I can say that in general, I am probably mostly running from something. Like I want to have this inner peace, right? But what what is inner peace and where do you get it? You would imagine that you get inner peace by like, you know, being calm and staying in the same place and just being happy with what you have. But as a traveling model, we're doing the opposite of that, right? We're like chasing all this stuff and then chasing all this imagery and creativity and like locations and like, you know, trying to make something cool that other people are going to notice and appreciate. And in a way, it's just it's workaholism. For me, I find Mm. myself... You are a workaholic. I I do enjoy it. And it's definitely a healthier addiction than alcoholism, which was part Mm. of my past. But it is having to be busy all the time is also a trauma response and I'm aware mm. and I and that's part of why I do have like a journaling and stretching routine in the morning because that kind of keeps me in check but I'm falling into these patterns right now where even when I'm stretching in the morning I'm stretching while often checking my Instagram to see if that booking responded and confirmed you know what I mean <laughs>
1: Wow, that's interesting you say that workaholism can be a trauma response.
0: It totally can be. And I think there's a lot of people who have had like trauma in their past or maybe other addictions in their past that become a workaholic or addicted to the gym (laughs) or to yoga even, I guess.
1: I've been reflecting on how do I balance work with my personal life and social life. And just continuing my education, whether that be in yoga or in trauma-informed techniques or in psychedelic training or in aerial hoop. How do I balance all those things? What do I prioritize? How do I prioritize my time? What is it that I want to put into the world? And Now that I have, for myself, achieved my first and foremost goals with traveling and modeling, which was to see the world and to find where I feel a sense of belonging and home now what is my next purpose? Yeah. So that's been hard. That's why I was curious to ask what keeps you going? Like, what is your
0: motivation? Yeah, I suppose besides, like, what I'm doing being workaholism, essentially, which I hate to admit, you know, in a way it is, what keeps me going, like, moving forward? You know, for a long time, for many years, I always had some kind of a big project that I was working on, whether it was, like, like a a film project or like book that I wanted to make. But right now, I suppose the project that I have right now is my podcast. So Mm. that that I think that doing stuff that involves the community, even if it doesn't Mm. make me any money, really fuels me It makes me feel connected to other people and modeling, Mm. even though it is my job and my income, and I have workaholic tendencies. Modeling is very connecting. Like if you're working with the right people, like you you make a connection with the person that you're modeling for or with your fellow models, like as you're chatting online and helping each other out. Like there is like friendships and connections to be made. And I suppose that's what keeps me going with it.
1: Wow.
0: I agree with you. It's That's a unique way to connect with
1: someone. Even after like a two-hour suit, you can be having like the most intimate conversations that you just wouldn't at a regular office job. Yeah. Yeah, that's one thing I'm very grateful for are the connections and the friends that I've made along the
0: way. I have had other jobs in the past, mostly working in food, where, you know, I made friends at work and stuff. (laughs) It was definitely different in... Not very creative, <laughs> but I suppose that you can have com- camaraderie with any of your coworkers anywhere. But the thing is, if you're working at the same location with the same coworkers every day, then the days kind of blend together, right? And so what we're doing every day is different, which is, you know, how could you want to replace that with something else?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Here's a fun question Can you name the first? The new models that come to mind that inspire you the first, for your work?
0: The first few models that come to mind that inspire me. Ooh, I love this question. Okay. It's a
1: scary one to answer because we also don't want to make
0: anyone feel left like out. I know. I don't want to make anyone feel left out. But when it comes to inspiration, there's definitely people that I know personally that inspire me, that I've met and worked with. And then there's people that I haven't met yet, but I think that their stuff is really cool online. And one person that always comes to my mind when somebody asks about inspiration is a model. My gosh, I'm going to, I don't totally know how to pronounce her last name, but it's Melanie Guidos she has, she's completely bald. She has some kind of something going on with her body, with her cartilage in her body, but it gives her a really unique shape and look. And she's used that in her modeling in a bunch of Vogue style, like really cool avant-garde, super dark themes. I don't know if you've seen her online, but she has a very unique look. And I just love that with how unique her look is and she just went with it and like has done all this cool conceptual art but at the same time on the same account that she shares all of her cool conceptual art she also shares hot girl selfies (laughs) like showing off her butt and stuff and I'm like yeah you can be creative and show off your butt and you know Everybody loves it. And I, I just think it's great. Like, you can see her whole personality and all of her art. And I, I think that sometimes people take themselves too seriously and they'll only show like one part of themselves that they think is like the most amazing thing ever. But you don't get to see much of the personality. So that's why I really like, you know, how she shares herself online. What is her Instagram? I will. Gaidos, G A Y D O S. Yeah wow so
1: beautiful yeah
0: yeah she does a lot of really cool stuff she works with really amazing artists and then another person that I have thought is very inspiring is Shantia I've known Shantia for many years she's amazing at posing when I first got into traveling for modeling So many photographers in different cities all around the country would talk about how she was the best poser ever. And I was like, I have to meet her one day. And I did meet her one day, like at a group Mm. event. And she was so nice. And I had to pee in the bushes (laughs) in the Dominican Republic. And she was nice enough to hold up a towel to shield me from the public. Awkward, but it's a story that I'll never forget. Anyway, like she's... So amazing because she was very, very accomplished as a traveling model, and then turned to photography and became very accomplished as a professional photographer. And, you know, she's great. And there's, there's so many, so many people that I could list. I I feel like I could talk about all the people <laughs> that inspire me like until the cows come home but I'll mention one more person. And now and now I'm already feeling guilty for not listing like Hi. I know what you mean. But one other person who inspired me is a model who goes by Fluffy and mm. she was the first professional traveling model that I met in person because I sought her out because a fellow photographer Told me if I was trying to do this full time, I should meet her because I was worried about how short I am and having any success as a five foot two model. And she's, I think, five foot three, so really close to the same height as me. And she was already traveling the world and, and doing freelance modeling full time. So I I went to Portland and I met her. I, I found out that she was, you know, helping out at an art show, and I went to it and. In, introduced myself. And I was so nervous because I'm, I'm very like socially awkward and, and it's hard for me to make new friends. So the fact that I drove to a different city just to try to befriend somebody was really going out of my comfort zone, but she was so friendly. And she was like, if you ever want to come back to Portland, you can stay at my house. And, you know, I've got photographer friends that might want to photograph us together. And she sort of gave me a bunch of advice. And if it wasn't for her, I don't know how well I would have done with my own, like figuring out how to be a freelance model, because it's not, when you first start out, it's not like a welcoming community. Like there's competition and You know, your friends and family are talking shit about your photos on the internet. I mean, that was at least my experience. And she was one of the most supportive people, the most friendly. And she invited me into communities of other models online that would give each other supportive advice. And if it wasn't for those Facebook groups that she invited me to, I would have been still like, you know, shooting in the dark for a while yeah wow. so, so those are some of my, my biggest inspirations in modeling just you know people who do cool stuff but also show their real tr- personality and then people who are like willing to help you out and give you advice <laughs> I am I'm noticing that Fufi is now a makeup artist she does um, do makeup
1: yeah yeah and I've also been aware of her for a long time but haven't ever talked to think. and I'm so glad you mentioned that a modeling can sometimes be... Oh, what was the word you used? You said it's not always welcoming to new models.
0: Yeah, it, it can be hard when you start out because like no, if nobody really takes you seriously when you first start out, right? Do so you mean other
1: models or other photographers?
0: I think, well, both. Because if you have just started out and you're traveling to a new city, if you don't already have a ton of amazing workup, then nobody really takes you seriously because you're... You haven't, I guess, proven yourself yet.
1: Yes. Yeah. I remember being part of a modeling group when I first started and being so excited to be part of that group and recognizing, like, wow, this is a powerful force where all of us unite together to support each other. We don't have agencies or managers to, like, keep us safe. Like, we have to do that for ourselves. So I made the mistake to. To first propose like, Hey, why don't we all raise our rates just a little bit? Like as a community, we can do it. We deserve it. And some of the models that have been doing this for 10 years, they were like, who are you? Like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it did also take me a few years to find my, my spaces, my friends, my modeling groups. It's not a one size
0: fits all. That's true. Yeah, there there's definitely some cattiness, especially with people who've been doing it for a really long time. And I try to keep myself in check. But in in one case, it's, it's good to help people out. But it's also if the person that's contacting you for help is only like trying to get your contacts, and there's no other connection there, or there's no indication that they actually are going to show up to the photo shoots that they're booking. It's kind of like, it's kind of like you're dancing a narrow line where you want to trust that everybody's going to be a good job, be a good worker, do a good job. But I have like recommended models for workshops that totally flaked out and turned out to be really unreliable. So if you don't know that somebody's going to be reliable or not, and you recommend them, it kind of falls on you. It makes you look like, you know, a little bit less reliable if you recommended somebody that totally dropped the ball so i mean I, i take it with a grain of salt i definitely do help people out if i feel like they're genuine but if you know you can get a vibe if somebody's not being genuine with you i suppose you know you can tell these days
1: yes that's i don't know a characteristic that i absolutely never understood how can you make commitments and not keep them i it baffles me It is so unprofessional, whether that be from a model or a photographer.
0: Yeah. There's something else that I remember we mentioned at the beginning before we started. You wanted to talk about photography, ballet poses specifically, and I would love to hear your opinions on that. Thank you for asking.
1: This is such a broad topic. The thing that I feel most important to share on this very broad topic is how important it is for photographers to capture good ballet technique when the concept is a ballet photoshoot so one thing that photographers can do with ballet dancers is share all of the photos afterwards so that we can choose the images in which we look the best because developing an eye for what looks so good, it's, it takes years of practice. You can have two nearly identical ballet photos, but in one photo, the leg, the muscle is just slightly more turned out, slightly more extended, just has more real perfection that all ballet dancers are striving for. And our whole life, we, we strive for this ethereal perfection that some question does it even exist? So I had in the beginning, I had photo shoots where I would put my best effort into the photo shoots and then dance my heart out to jump two hundred times in two hours to get the perfect jumping images on a concrete floor. That yeah. was harsh on my ankles, knees, hips, but I would do it because I I love the beauty, I love the art, I love the challenge, and I wanted to prove myself, and then to go to these photo shoots time and time again and then never receive the images and that would just really, really hurt. I understood I was being paid but I did not understand why photographers would not share a process in which we collaborated because I'm putting in the physical efforts, um, You are paying me to make it happen. I am traveling to your location. I have a lot of costs and then to suddenly withhold the images. That to me is unless it's agreed upon beforehand, it seems like a bit of a power struggle. Like we've put this project, like we've put our hearts into it. Why not share the images? Why not give me the opportunity to see them, to see what I can do better to grow, improve, and share our photos with the world? Or something that I'm coming into contact with today is more that photographers are very protective of how their images are edited. Mm-hmm. Whereas what I see in camera sometimes is so good and it makes me feel so happy and so inspired. And we keep working and perfecting some of the poses. And then afterwards, I'm sent images that just are not in style with what I want to put out there. Yeah. The editing, they've been like cropped or distorted or. The colors are just off or they're just not what I had in mind as we were shooting. So I'd like to add my own flair, my own twist, my own personalization to the photos. And I feel like you can do that the way that you want to and share that work on your page. But what I share on my page, I would like to have some control over. Yeah, what do you think of our practice today? Because you are also a photographer.
0: Yeah, thanks for asking. I mean, this is definitely a can of worms that a lot of people have really strong opinions of, especially like photographers that are shooting the images. You know, I suppose that according to the law in the United States, a person who hits the shutter button has the rights to the image. So even though it's like, yeah, you worked together and you made amazing images, they could argue that you don't have the right to, to own any of them if you were paid. In my experience, a lot of people that I work with, even though they paid me, still want to send me photos. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, however, I mean, there's been plenty of times where I've been hired and then they don't send me photos. And so I, yeah, if, if it wasn't communicated in advance, I suppose, I I don't feel like... I don't feel like they owe them to me, even if I would like to see them, if I was paid. I guess
1: the message that I want to send to photographers is that when you share our images, first of all, thank you to everyone who already does. And to those who have any reservations about sharing your work and letting us models either edit the images to our liking or select the photos that you may have missed Mm -hmm. That is continuing a collaboration process that is so important. The collaboration starts before the photo shoots. Then it's in the middle of a photo shoot as you're shooting and it continues afterward.
0: Yes, I do suppose especially because dancing is your art form that the person Mm -hmm. photographing it might not have a full understanding of even if they're hiring you, if they're photographing your art form of dance and the images that they're selecting are the ones that are just right before or right after you were in the full form of the pose. Like, I I feel like it is important to have proper, proper dance pose, like to the fullest extent of it so that it's not like, because other ballet professionals are going to see that photo and they're going to know if it's not on point, right?
1: Absolutely. Sure. So for a professional dancer who's with a company full time, it can be compromising to their image to have images out there that are not in full extension that are like where she's like half
0: blinking or oh my not in the full pose. I I can see how that would be very frustrating for for me, like I don't have any kind of trained dance experience, but I have had photo shoots where the photographers want me to wear point shoes and a tutu and do stuff that ballerinas do. And every single time, this hasn't happened too many times, but I'm just like, you should hire a ballerina because I am not one. I can pronounce, but it's not going to be the same. And then actual ballerinas are going to see this and know. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I think just mm -hmm. taking, taking the, taking the photography of that art seriously, I think would mean, you know, making sure with, with the person that you photographed, you know, what what you want to put out there, I suppose. I think that is important, even if they paid you.
1: What would you say to photographers who are very protective over their final edit when uh, when we just don't share the same taste and let's say it's a TFP shoot and our editing styles are just different? Oh
0: my god, how I have had this and I hate it. So if somebody if somebody edits in a way that I don't like and we shot trade where. The reason I'm fo- modeling for them is because I am intending on using the photos somehow for my portfolio or whatever. For me in particular, that means not photoshopping out my stretch marks because I like them to show. And so many people want to edit them out, especially if they're like well known photographers. They're like, oh, it's part of my process to remove all scars. For me personally, if it's a trade shoot and I'm going to post the photos, I don't want that edited out. I want it to show because I'm going to talk about it in the post. So this is definitely a conflict that I have had, even with trade shoots. What do I do? I I, I can ask them. I, I try to ask them in advance, like when we're setting the shoot up, please don't edit these out or whatever. In general, if I am trading with somebody, it more or less means that I already like their style. But I suppose for things that are specific to me, like the stretch marks, It's a request that is often overstepping what they're comfortable with sharing too. So I have had some where like, I I don't know, like I suppose with some styles of photography, like pinup, it doesn't make sense to show any skin texture because pinup is obviously its own style. Mm -hmm. But if there's people that like are clashing with me on that and they want to over airbrush my skin and remove all of my stretch marks. You know, for me, I'll just take it as a lesson learned and not trade with them again in the future.
1: Yeah. And, and the message that I want photographers to hear is that you're not compromising your work by letting us make adjustments to it. It is our work. You can do with it as you like. And I would like to also to have some say in the final result that I post to my team.
0: Yeah, especially if it's a trade shoot. I mean, there's definitely like certain editing styles, like if it's really oversaturated and my, you know, I had like pale skin that day, but you made me really dark tan or like you popped the color of my eyes so bright that I look like a cartoon, like that kind of stuff I'm not into either,
1: you know? yeah something that I struggle with is the vocabulary of describing to photographers what I like or don't like in the edit. It's a fine balance because I don't want to come across as offensive ever. And I want to work with them to perfect the process. Yeah. In the case where they want full control and it was a paid shoot. But I feel like as a model who is not a photographer, I don't have the vocabulary to describe what I like or don't like in an image. and. Yeah. Like what do I say when the feel of an image is just so different from what I was seeing in the camera and not having the original to reference? I think that's hard a hard
0: thing. one because the feel of the photo is very subjective to everybody because that, that's like hmm, the way that you're like posing and emoting doesn't always come off in the camera and if the photographer is not like on the same page with like what the vibe is going to be I feel like it's just never going to be you know what you want I don't I don't I don't think there's a good way to say it because a lot of people have their own way of photographing and they can't like you know feel what you feel when you're like doing your posing so I mm-hmm. guess it really just comes down to finding the people whose work whose style already isn't in alignment with your style and then working with them. And, but then you're going to work with a ton of people, especially if this is your primary source of income who pay, and they shoot okay photos or even great photos, but they're not like your vibe. And, you know, I guess it's like how much of your dignity is for sale? (laughs) You know, how much profit are you going to make is directly related to how much you're willing to, you know, have images of you online that you don't really think are inspiring.
1: Wow. This is a whole other topic, but how much of your dignity is on sale? Yeah. Wow. That's powerful. Yeah. I have been lately really wanting to create what my soul feels is inspiring, and I'm trying to figure out what that is. Going back to the models, like other artists whom... We find inspiring a few people who come to mind for me are Astrid. Yeah, Hi. Astrid is amazing. That's a beautiful art model. Like it's incredible to watch her transform into all these different characters, and she takes her own photos. She, I met her over the summer with Rory, who is also incredibly inspiring in Denmark, and some um, and Clara Renee. Seeing is a beautiful art model, and her images have like this erotic. That is just so warm and you know, inviting. And another one is Momentum We Go. She is an aerialist mm-hmm. and we look like twins. We have the same, very similar bodies, like same exact height wow. Like we're both dancers. So to see what she does, like I have picked up Ariel. I have uh, an Alira, an aerial hoop. Partly inspired by her incredible skills as an artist. Yeah, Victoria, like one of the first ballet models out there. Um, Just to see like how much she's
0: still going, still into it, like still traveling so much. She's also Um, very inspiring and she's been very open about her journey as well, which I do think is really cool when people are talking about like their personal struggles and stuff online.
1: And my best friend in San Francisco, Ruthie. She is an agency model, so much different, but also such an inspiring human being. I forgot how I was gonna tie that into what we started talking about in dignity. Oh yes. Having our dignity. <laughs> <sale>. Yes. <laughs> so today i feel like yeah I, I want i'm trying to figure out what is my motivation for continuing with monolink what is it that i hope to achieve or aspire to what is my goal what is my vision and i i felt so heartbroken yesterday i was contacted by a photographer whom i've been following since 2019 five years and has such beautiful work underwater black and white artistic nude. And at first, he sent me a link on Instagram, uh, showing some images that we could create together that he was wanting to hire me for. And I said, "This is great. Like, okay, let's uh, let's go. Let's confirm a date." And then he said, "Oh wait, I'll get back to you. I want to be more specific about what I want to create." So the next day, he sent me an email with another link that was the second time around, much more erotic, yeah. like showing genitals. Like all these things that I don't want to be creating with other photographers and that I feel like I cannot take a pain booking for because my body might not want to pose that day. Like I'm really sensitive to my, my cycle. Like what if I'm having my period and I just don't want to wear a tampon or to pose like that when I'm feeling vulnerable? This, this is not something that I feel I can do and get paid for it. So I just, uh, I love artistic nude. I love creating the erotic vibe within my artistic nude boundaries. And I had expressed that to him, but he still, for some reason, kept asking me for it. And uh, yeah, it was just heartbreaking. Like, are you, I don't understand some people's interests in genitalia. Like, why do you want me to pose like this? Yeah. Like, why do you want to have the opportunity to see my genitals, even if, afterwards it's not pornographic and your images are beautiful why like why can't you use my other skills that I have to offer
0: yeah I have had that issue as well and then you're like okay this is a paid shoot now I'm just doing it for the money if I'm gonna accept this job so you are selling your dignity at times because if their work the rest of their work is like really beautiful and amazing and you know artistic nude like how come you wouldn't want to shoot that, you know? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Christy, I just want to ask you, shall we continue the conversation or? Oh
0: my gosh. I think we've gone a little bit over the amount of time that I normally have these podcasts for, but I'd be willing to have you for another episode in the future. <laughs> thanks thanks for getting around for the time.
1: Yeah. If we meet in the future, I think it would be fascinating to discuss with you. What does it look like to have a romance with a photographer that goes that way? Because Mm. photographer, model, romantic relationships are a fascinating thing to discuss.
0: Yes, this Mm. is going to be a part two.
1: Yeah. Thank you so much. I I really enjoyed this. And it's been fun to adjust to the time difference and also get the chance to talk with you today.
0: Absolutely, Poppy. Thanks so much. It's been great having the podcast with you. Thank you, Christine. I'll be in touch. Bye-bye.